Recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles in West Bend, Wisconsin, this is the Crimson Cowl Comic Club Podcast. Welcome to Issue 3, dear listeners and readers. I'm Anthony. I'm David. I'm Katie. And I'm Kurt's dad. Which is strange. I don't have my own identity, but I think Kurt's kid. It works. <laughs> this week in the spoiler discussion, we'll be talking about the very highly anticipated Doomsday Clock number one, as well as Action Comics number 992. So kicking it off with Doomsday Clock number one by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. DC Comics presents to you a 12-issue maxi-series from the critically acclaimed team of Jeff Johns, artist Gary Frank, and colorist Brad Anderson, you are not prepared for what lies ahead within these pages, good readers. Uh, well, you're going to be prepared after we talk about it. <laughs> Before we start talking about it, there yes. was some mention of maybe brushing up on the uh, Watchmen book. A- anybody go back and read any of that? Or No, I, but I know I'm going to have to after <laughs> I, I revisited uh, Watchmen and I watched the movie as well. Um, the movie and the comic... I would say a good like ninety percent is the same, but then they change the ending for the for the movie, um, as we see in the book that the character of uh, Ozymandias, who uh, once part of the you know the the collection of superheroes, um, orchestrated this plan to basically try to bring people together by killing lots of people to kind of. He created this uh, this giant squid monster that he kind of threw in Manhattan or New York City or whatever, right. and uh, it was like three million people had died, and and having that there, his plan was to just bring all of like the America and the nations together uh, for world peace. Right. The story had taken place right smack dab in the middle of the Cold War, and Russia and. Uh... The U.S. Were, were both, you know, they had their fingers on the button uh, ready to launch the nukes. And so this was his plan, you know, by uh, sacrificing New York, you know, he could bring the world together and uh, create uh, this world peace. So opening with Doomsday Clock, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of important to know that uh, <clears throat> they... Uh, this this really does kind of follow up on that. This this takes place in the Watchmen universe on that side of this book. This is taking place seven years after Watchmen. So seven years after Watchmen, somehow or another, they figured out that uh, Osmondius was uh, b- behind the whole thing. And a lot of it came through the the Rorschach's journal, which was. The, the very last thing of both the movie and the comic of uh, Rorschach kind of knowing the truth about this and Dr. Manhattan had, you know, wiped him from existence. Right, because Rorschach, he had principles. He wasn't going to do what the other characters did. He wasn't going to be able to keep quiet and not share the truth with the world. Um, and so he was silenced. Uh, so another important thing to note, because the book opens up with Rorschach. But as we find out, and here's where the spoilers really start, this is not the same Rorschach. This is uh, like his replacement, somebody taking over the name Rorschach. Um, dresses like him, he's got the same 
that special Rorschach mask, which was a one-of-a-kind thing, so I don't know how he came came up with this thing. Um, and uh, so it starts off with this new Rorschach who's freeing some new characters, uh, not previously in Watchmen continuity, but they exist in that world. Um, and it is Marionette and the Mime. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that, you know, in the Watchmen story was, uh, you know, them breaking Rorschach out of jail, and now this sequel to Watchmen is Rorschach breaking them out of prison. So it's kind of interesting, you know, to kind of have that prison scene there. And uh... Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of names because it's, it's, it's escaping me right now. But um, something that people might not catch is if you know all the Watchmen characters originally were based on the old Charlton characters that DC had recently acquired. And the original plan was to use those characters, the Question and Blue Beetle and um, all those characters. And DC said, well, no, we want to use them for other things. So they created characters based on those characters. And these new characters uh, follow that. And that's right. I can picture the characters and I can't. The two characters that are equivalent to the marionette. And but the, they actually do have Charlton Comics counterparts. Yes. And, uh, they, were, just... they were in um, Batman when he went after Bane. Because Batman broke them out of jail and used and, them as part of his... And, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, they, they have been used. And man, it's, it's driving me nuts because I can't think of the characters' names right now. Um, they originated. They're pretty close to Marionette and the Mime, though. They're all that are like the Harlequin and, um, you know, something like it. It's the same. And the Jester, I think they were. Or something. Yeah, yeah. I can't can't <laughs> think think of the names. After we conclude this uh, podcast, it will suddenly pop into my mind. And you're talking about the recent Bane story, yeah, okay? Because that now yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, they were busted out of jail by Batman yeah, to help yeah. him go after Bane. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, so these characters, these new characters, do have a basis in uh, the old Charlton comics. Um, so, the new Rorschach breaks them out, really because he needs one of them. The other one is just part of the deal. They come as a package, apparently, <laughs> and they don't want to deal with the mime, but uh, they need the marionette. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so he comes. With, uh, with the deal. And the mime is this interesting character because he doesn't talk, but he likes to perform when killing people. Um, Which and I'm pretty sure was the same in the Bane comic, too, when Batman busted him out. He only needed the woman, yeah. but she said, I'm not going with unless you take my partner with, too. So. And not having read that, that's kind of interesting that they're doing sort of a parallel with, with a recent uh, main continuity uh, DC story. So they break out, um, Rorschach reveals to them in the process, and I'm surprised that he didn't keep this to himself, and you know, he takes off his glove and reveals that he is a, uh, as I read in an interview afterwards, a person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so right away, all the, all the theories are starting. Who is this? Who could it be? And there's a couple characters from Watchmen that people suspected, and then, uh, realize, yeah, but they're killed in the story, so it can't be them. And uh, I'll I'll get to an interesting theory in a little bit here. But uh, they break out, um, they follow them, and they go to uh, Night Owl, Night Owl number two, Dan Dryberg's 
old base of operations. And as you mentioned, uh, having a second night owl, what I really like is a lot of people going into this knowing that Rorschach is alive again and people being upset like, oh, but he died and that ruins it. But thinking like, well, in the Watchmen universe, you've had, you know, two night owls, you've had other silk specters. So this kind of follows that same trend of being mm -hmm. like, well, why can't there be another Rorschach? So. Right, yeah. There, I, I there didn't like been, that. There have been a number of, of characters that uh, that have had like that second generation character. Um, so it is, and I, and I thought the 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 thing that kind of threw me is that they kind of make you think that Night Owl will not be appearing in there because uh, they do say that he's retired. So if we'll see him within the next year, I I don't know, but they're saying that he's retired. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, but his uh, his ship uh, is is in his old base, and all this stuff is in his old base. The costume. And now, at the end of uh, Watchmen, he had come up with this new identity and everything, um, and him and Silk Spectre were going to continue fighting crime under these these new identities. Um, so I don't know if all this put was put into storage in his old place uh, <laughs> before they went off. Uh, under the new identities or or afterwards but uh, um, but yeah this is sort of the new base of operations uh, where you find leader. out that the new Rorschach is um, working for Osmandius mm -hmm. and uh, who who is and we haven't mentioned this yet um, now that everybody knows that he was behind the uh, the, the massacre or whatever you want to call it in uh, in New York, he's on the run. He's he's the world's you know number one most wanted. wanted. <laughs> uh, so he's he's hiding out at Night Owl's old uh, old headquarters, and uh, somehow or another he got this new Rorschach to work for him. And the plan is because the world has is falling apart again because you know they know that. Uh, they had peace um, because of a lie. Once that lie was peeled back and they saw the truth, all of a sudden, Russia and you know the United States—they're right on the verge of uh, of nuclear destruction again. So that's pretty much what we get from this book until the end, where we then go over to the main. The main universe, uh, I guess it would be uh, Earth Zero, uh, DC. Um, now again, the Watchmen side of this story is taking place seven years after uh, Watchmen, and so it's happening. Uh, the, the date that's given at the beginning of this is November twenty second, coinciding with the date of the book's release, nineteen ninety two. Which the significance of that year is that that is the month, not to the exact date, but the month and the year that we got the death of Superman, where he was killed by Doomsday. Um, so then we switch over and we go to uh, the, the main DC continuity, Earth Zero, and we find uh, uh, Superman, Clark Kent, asleep, but not sleeping so well as he's having a nightmare of... The, uh, the night that his parents were killed uh, because the, uh, the new 52 or the, uh, the rebirth version of Superman, uh, his parents were killed 
fairly early on in, in his life. And um, so it's almost alluded to in this book that there might be something to that early death uh, because it's it's been hinted um, as, as we've gone through the Oz effect, the Superman Reborn and everything, that perhaps Dr. Manhattan has had a major influence on the DC Universe and with a lot of the Superman mythos as it is right now. Um, so about all we really get from, uh, from main DC continuity in this story is a little bit at the end where Superman is having this dream, uh, this nightmare, he wakes from it, and says he doesn't think he's ever had a nightmare before this. So there is some major significance to this nightmare that he's having. Yeah, so that was your first issue, and uh, I guess the actual very last page uh, was uh, kind of caught me by surprise, but it was a nice, simple dedication to Len Wein, who was the original editor of Watchmen. I think he was one of the driving forces of uh, the book actually happening in the first place, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, Len Wein had passed away uh, a couple months back, you know, co-creator of Swamp Thing and Wolverine and such. I had met Len uh, a couple years ago, and I had him sign, and this is Watchmen-related. They did a before Watchmen series where they took all the characters and did limited runs on all of the, you know, all the Watchmen characters that were, you know, quote-unquote, like, property that nobody ever wanted to be touched again. And, and But, you know, they owned the characters, so they went through and did the stories. And Ozzy Mandius was one character that I didn't really... I, I didn't really care about him at all in the book or the movie, but reading the before Watchmen that became my favorite of the series. So I had met Len and got to tell him that and everything. And he signed the book and it was pretty cool, pretty cool experience there. So seeing the whole, you know, dedication at the end kind of like hit me just being like, Oh yeah, that's, you know, yeah, because this is the direct sequel to Watchmen. Yeah. And it was a nice touch, especially, you know, Len is one of those guys who he's a big name in comics and he's responsible for a lot of stuff, but I think he's also, uh, underappreciated and not not as well known as he should be mm -hmm. so um you know it's nice to see the dedications and we've seen recently the dedications in other books as well one other piece that may be important in the storyline too that you didn't mention is there also seemed to be a hint that something's wrong with Ozymandias because he, go, he goes I, through this personality shift well, at one point a little bit more is having that. trouble concentrating he hears sounds in his head he's you know, so we, there's an indication well, we may be looking at it crazy. <laughs> right, but uh, but looking at the story, you see some people uh, kind of raiding his, his office, and they find some x-rays, and in this x-ray, you see, you know, almost like a ball-shaped thing, yeah. you know, like a tumor in his head, and he does mention at kind of at the end of the part that he's in that he has cancer. Yeah. So... And he breaks off at one point and is talking about hearing laughing and yeah yeah. Uh, the book as a whole, though, I think is like being a direct sequel to Watchmen. Uh, all of the Watchmen related pages really did capture that vibe. I think you know between the writing and the art that it kind of it felt right and seeing kind of like the similar type you know, of panels. You know, it's not all you know uh, complete nine panel pages, but you would see a lot of that in Watchmen. So seeing a lot of that in this book really kind of kind of kept the tone of it, and I thought they did a really good job of having it, like 
if there was a sequel to Watchmen, this feels like it's being uh, treated with the most respect for the mm -hmm. book. And but I think you were right when you mentioned it would really be helpful for people to go back and read Watchmen or watch the movie, or because I had for a while, and I managed to follow along, but it was... It's a lot. It was yeah. a lot of... <laughs> yeah, you could probably jump into this this book and read it and, and be okay, but you'd have a lot of questions. Um, so, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend going back and reading it. Um, oh, said like a new club member over there or something? Just heard <laughs> yeah, a noise. Yes, strange noise. Maybe we've got mice. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't eat the comics. Um, but... Uh, now I'm thrown way off track. A little just talking about the importance of over having if you read, watch. Yeah, them. yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely would recommend going back and uh, and and doing it. Um, and also, this is uh, you know some people might feel that this is kind of a slow takeoff to this book, uh, kind of a, a slow paced number one. But I do feel that it fit in with the style of, of Watchmen. I, I think they did a pretty good job with that. There's probably a lot of Watchmen enthusiasts who would want to wring my neck for saying that because everybody's got their things that they're judgmental on and everything. But, uh, but my opinion, yeah, it, it does a pretty good job of uh, keeping with that style and at least the, the aesthetics of the story and, uh, and even the pacing. I, I did feel that it, uh, that it worked as being a good follow-up. Yeah, and anyone that's interested in following along, you know, there's uh, reorders for issue number one. There's going to be, you know, a second printing, and then there will be 11 more issues throughout the year. So uh, anyone listening that wants to jump in on Doomsday Clock, you can, you know, send in your pre-orders and subscribe. And then if you're a participant with the club and want to come and discuss it, there'll be discounts available too for the series. We'll be the book we'll be talking about once a month for the next year. And actually, before I forget, because I did mention that I would bring it up again, um, theories. Leading theory right now on who the new Rorschach is seems to be um, uh, that uh, if you go back and you read Watchmen, there's two characters that people think of. Um, they're like, oh, I wonder if it's this person or that person. One is Rorschach's his, his shrink. Um mm. You know, he had all this information on him, and they have some clues in this. There's some files and whatever that are shown. Um, but he is shown killed in Watchmen. Um, he, he also seems to be uh, too old and, and, and overweight to fit the physical characteristics of, of him. There's a younger um, character who's by the comic book stand and he was always mm -hmm. reading i forget right. the name the of the frontier it. It was, or something yeah. he, he was reading a comic book or the black sails the black sails at the new frontier was it, that one? It, it was one of those comics that yeah. kind of had this parallel to what was going on in watchmen and uh but again they show that character killed when they nuke new york um so if you look at it i think i think it's towards the end of the book there is one little clue um, that it would be kind of neat if they went and followed this one little thing in one panel where you see Rorschach's uh, his shrink on his desk when he's talking to his wife. They don't even show the entire coffee cup, but it says dad. Hmm. And so a lot of people are jumping on this and going, 
perhaps it's Rorschach's, you know, uh, psychiatrist's, you know, like the son that's become the new Rorschach. Um, so over that right now, uh, if you look at some of the various theories going around the internet, that seems to be the leading theory at this point. All right. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about in the upcoming months yep. then. All right. I think that'll wrap it up for Doomsday Clock. All right. We're going to move on to Action Comics number 992 by Dan Jurgens and Steve Poog, maybe? Crippled by the events of the Oz Effect, Superman struggles to regain a sense of hope for humanity as a strange new threat brews in the background. A faithless son of both Krypton and Earth must make a choice. Stay and fight for his adoptive homeworld or answer a call from the stars. Okay, and I don't have this right in front of me because I forgot it at home. Uh, to, to go step by step, of course, Kurt Sale probably got it. Did you read this one? No, I did not. Read oh, you did not. Okay. You're on your but own. I wanted to bring it up because uh, we've been following uh, The Oz Effect, and this is After Effect, which is the follow up or kind of ending to that storyline. Um, what kind of threw me off a little bit is you end the last issue of Oz Effect feeling as though Superman has concluded that this is, in fact, that Mr. Oz is, in fact, Jor-El, his father. Um, that's the feeling that you get um, at, at the end of that one. And yet this one, the follow-up to it, he's questioning it again. Um, you know, and he's looking for answers. and um, But in doing so, he's kind of finding other, other questions. Um, he goes to Hal Jordan... And they go back through the Green Lantern's records to see a recording of when Krypton exploded. And somebody has tampered with this recording. Um, it, not necessarily that somebody's tampered with it, but there's something wrong with it. And Superman concludes that um, somebody has tampered with time. Uh now, this is the second mention of that. I'm getting ahead of myself because before that happens, he's uh, he gets a little visit at the Fortress of Solitude um, from Batman. And Bruce is kind of telling him the same thing, you know, and, and telling him to be careful and, and everything else. And he's also concluded and comes right out and says, somebody has tampered with time. So... Um, so they call up Barry Allen and they blame him. And him. they're like, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Enough's enough. <laughs> um, yeah, they probably would have had it not been for Barry's involvement with the button. Uh, and, and that's kind of what they're going off of here. And uh, so, so in this book, you're, you're getting a couple of things where they're really pushing the somebody has messed with time. Um, and they know this, the Superman still goes and he verifies it. So now you have Batman, the Flash, Superman, and Green Lantern all aware that somebody has been messing with time. Um, so it doesn't answer the question, is this Jor-El? It kind of, kind, kind of, the kind water of more. makes it more suspicious um, that, this, uh, that this recording would be like that. I guess I came away from the last issue thinking, okay, it is Dorel after being very suspicious of it myself. And now they're back to questioning it. So now I'm going, okay, now do I question it or do I accept that it was Dorel? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, the whole issue is kind of leads towards somebody's tampered with time. 
And then uh, Superman goes and, and finds the, uh, the cosmic treadmill. And he's going to go back in time to actually witness the destruction of Krypton for himself. And unfortunately, Booster Gold arrives a moment too late to stop him. Uh, he's arrived to warn him that if he goes back through time, he could doom them all. Um, so this ends the, uh, the Oz Effect storyline, and uh, it kicks off the start of a new storyline that will have Superman teaming up with Booster Gold for the next couple of issues. Uh, no doubt lost through time, trying to figure out what's going on. I think that'll wrap it up for the spoiler section. All right. Kicking off the non-spoiler section, uh, one of the books that I really dug this week, in fact, my, my number one pick of the week, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, number 25. This is going to be under the Legacy banner, even though Moon Girl hasn't existed uh, in the Marvel Legacy, Devil Dinosaur has, but what's interesting now with this new arc, Devil Dinosaur is not actually part of this book. This is the start of a new uh, uh, arc that they're doing called the Fantastic Three. Because as you see, um, you see uh, Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, and Ben Grimm, the Thing, on here as well. And so, I, in see, the, I see somebody else on there too. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> there is mention to uh, that robot in there in the book as well. But Moon Girl, she's a nine-year-old uh, Inhuman who is the smartest person in the world. And her story with uh, Devil Dinosaur, a creation from Jack Kirby back in the 80s, was a 12-issue comic book series that was under the Marvel banner, but it had nothing to do with Marvel continuity and superheroes and such. It was just a, like a caveman dinosaur story. And upon the announcement of this, I did some research. I went back. I read those. I really enjoyed them for what they were. And the Moon Girl pretty much uh, brought Devil Dinosaur from this... Uh, prehistoric era into her world and her inhuman power was that uh when she it would be on a night of a full moon they would switch bodies with each other so the nine-year-old girl would be stuck in a giant red t-rex body and the t-rex would be trapped inside of the little girl and she'd be in the middle of her like grade school class on her desk and growling and people wondering what she's doing and the dinosaur's like finally i have arms yeah yeah <laughs> and uh so that that was the dynamic there but over the last 24 issues there's been uh um, some ups and downs, and eventually the uh, Lunella had found a way to part ways uh, with Devil Dinosaur, and, and those trade paperbacks are out there to order, and uh, highly recommend. It's a very fun series where you don't need to know anything about Marvel continuity to understand. You'll see a couple guest stars here and there, but Moon Girl exists on her own like little part of the Marvel Universe world. Uh, so jumping into this, since she is uh, one dinosaur less than she was uh, last issue, she's looking for some teammates, and that's what this issue is all about, is, uh, is setting up the Fantastic Three with uh, Johnny Storm and Ben. So you'll see in this issue um, the future of what this series is going to going to be. Interestingly, I keep forgetting that she's an Inhuman. I, I know this, but I forget because I think she's far more known for her uh, intelligence, genius, intellect. Yeah. yeah. So, like going into this, and now that her and Devil are uh, separated, I'm kind of wondering when they come to a, uh, a full moon issue, what's going to happen because her inhuman power is like 
was directly connected with Devil Dinosaur. So I'm very interested to see what uh, direction her Inhuman power is going to take her. Uh, but yeah, be, she'll be the new thing for the day. <laughs> well, that, there we go. Ben Grimm will be a little, little girl. girl. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. It's all ages. Great introductory comic, and this issue, I think, uh, feels pretty introductory as well. Um, but if you're going in thinking like, oh, because there's a big red dinosaur on the cover, uh, you're not getting any dinosaur. That storyline has wrapped up, but those trades are available if anyone's interested and. Yeah, a book that I hope continues to go, and it's uh, very well-beloved in my stack. So, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Minus Devil Dinosaur. Minus the dinosaur. <laughs> and then moving on to Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows, number thir- 13. And now we're eight years later. That's the arc we're on. Eight years later. So this is one, one year after the Watchmen. Oh, wait, no. It's <laughs> so now we have... Annie as a teenager and the family still trying to figure out what it means to fight together as superheroes. Um, now with a teenage one. And what I have liked this series all along. One, I liked Mary Jane with Peter and it was nice to have them together and that st- continues to be a nice part of the book. But they do an incredible job, I think, of portraying a family as a family in this. Uh, they really they struggle with everyday sorts of things and um, that's true in this book as well. And and now they're dealing with teenage issues. How do we deal with our teenage daughter who also happens to be a superhero? It's interesting in this particular um volume for people who haven't read it, this is great to jump in because they're now, you know, in a different phase of what's going on in this comic and it's a great place to start because all the readers whether they've been reading you know the last issues are all on the same page yeah, it's, it's kind of kind of a new book for everybody yeah and um and they just do a great job with the dynamics of of the family in fact this issue there's very little superheroing it's mostly them trying to figure out how to live together in the same house without driving each other crazy and um so i just I really recommend it. I've enjoyed from the beginning renewing your vows, and I think uh, it's going in a new and interesting direction. Good, good. Uh, we do have a couple more books here. Before we get jumping in, I'm just going to say it to the table here. If anyone has any issues they want to talk about, just you can kind of get them ready and riled up and maybe give you some time to think. Oh, boy, do I have issues. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say it directly, but you know, that, this, had issues. <laughs> this whole podcast is an intervention. So. Here to help. <laughs> uh, coming from Archie Comics, we have Betty and Veronica Vixens number one. So the Archie line has really kind of had an awesome resurgence in the last like four or five years or so. We have the main Archie book, which is kind of modernizing uh, the Archie characters. Uh, same kind of problems, but in a modern world with cell phones and Twitter and all that, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then we have the the horror Archie books with Afterlife with Archie dealing with zombies. Now we have a new Jughead series, which is Jughead, uh, Jughead the Hunger, dealing with a werewolf story. Um, we have Betty and Veronica that are crossing over with uh, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. So once they told me that there's another Betty and Veronica book out there, it's like, all right, I'm already like, I have a lot of Archie on the pull list. But uh, this one, Betty and Veronica uh, on motorcycles. So <laughs> there's uh, there's some gangs in the Riverdale area, and they were definitely dealing with uh, the Southside Serpents as well, and Betty and Veronica who have this uh, secret... Um, 
secret obsession with uh, motorcycles and that they have never told anybody before and they decide to kind of form their own gang and and that's the setup for this issue um very fun you know it's 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 on a realistic level so it doesn't have those supernatural elements as some of the books i said before it's still grounded in a in a normal like archie type of continuity world but just so happens uh you know they're just big uh big motorcycle enthusiasts now for this series here and uh Normally they'll say it's like one of six, but I haven't seen anywhere that this is a miniseries, so as far as I know it's an ongoing, but the first issue was a lot of fun, and uh, with the Riverdale TV show going on in CW, and all the Riverdale comics and everything, um, I'm I'm a pretty easy sell on a lot of stuff coming from Archie. So. I, I gotta say, if I saw that <laughs> cover without really uh, paying too much attention to it, I would have no idea that that had anything to do with Archie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you just cover up, you know, Archie comics there and just Vixens. Um, but yeah, itself, like I said, it's still all your normal Archie players and stuff. And, uh, it's just telling a little side story that, uh, that, uh, the women are into some dangerous times and they are, uh, starting up a gang. So yeah, absolutely dug that book. And then you'll be talking about... Sherlock Frankenstein, Volumes 1 and 2. I mean, when I first saw these, this title, it was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually called Sherlock Frankenstein and the Legion of Evil. Um, the basic structure of the book is that Spiral City is the central city in this particular book. Um, and all their heroes there at one point took on a evil being called the anti-god, and they disappeared. So the center of this book is the daughter of one of those heroes, Black Hammer, is trying to find him, find out what happened to him, and she determines the best way to do that is to interview villains who were his primary villains. She's also a reporter. Um, she has her own series too, right? That name sounds familiar. Um, or is she just grounded? Black Hammer sounds familiar. Black with... Hammer is a series that went on before this one. Okay, okay. And actually, I did go back and read it. Um, what it is, is this series actually takes place at the same time as the Black Hammer series. Okay. Um, and you can read this one, though, independently. Uh, so she's, tra she's tracking down all her father's old villains, especially trying to get to Sherlock Frankenstein, who was the head of the all the villains. But um, it's filled with all kinds of images of past comics, um, literary references. It's very, it's written in a very clever way. Um, and I, I was surprised. This is one I just picked up off the shelf and went, wow, <laughs> that actually is pretty neat. Um, so I would certainly, rec you know. Two issues out now? No, two issues out now. If you want to go back and get the Black Hammer issues, I think those are still available. Um, which is also an interesting story in itself. It actually, while she's trying to find her father, the Black Hammer issues tell what actually happened to the team. Um, so, I, I think this, and that is equally as, as interestingly written and um, with, with certain pieces of humor in it, but also some very, um, some characters that kind of grab you as you go along. So. Pick it up, Sherlock Frankenstein. As strange as the title is, it's real. <laughs> and I have a question about the title. Um, so I quite like both of those characters in their original incarnations. Is the name 
um, you know, simply just off the cuff, or do you think we'll see anything to do with uh, Sherlock and Frankenstein? Well, you know them. the character actually has some connection to both because okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's a criminal genius. Oh, okay. He's also a um, an undead person. <laughs> All right, sign me up. I want this book. <laughs> that sounds cool. See, and that's that's the great thing about like if you can get yourself, uh, I guess, uh, out of your comfort zone, or you go into a comic book store, uh, preferably Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's great to just grab something. You know, if something catches your attention, you know, grab it and give it a try because there's so many times that that we get people that come in and grab something like that that. Normally wouldn't read it, but just for some reason they decided to grab this book, <laughs> and it turns out to be a great read. Well, I'd seen it in the previews and thought about it, and when I came in, they had both the first two issues in, so I said, well, I'll take a look at it. <laughs> and the next book, uh, both myself and Kurtstad have read, it's uh, Imaginary Fiends number one. I was drawn in by uh, writer Tim Seeley, who is the co-creator of Revival, which is the horror story that takes place in Wisconsin. Um, so Imaginary Fiends is a whole new uh, book out of the Vertigo uh, imprint. Now, I've been thinking long and hard how to sell a book like this in a non-spoiler fashion in a way that I went into this not knowing anything beyond just what the cover looked like and the writer and I think that benefited just to kind of really learn what's going on. So it's a supernatural, otherworldly, murder detective. The way I was trying to think how to characterize this in a non-spoiler way, and I thought X-Files meet Stranger Things. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be a pretty you guys good... are going to <laughs> That would be a pretty good uh, sell for I think that a just sold it. And really timely, too. So. But yeah, I mean, I love the art in this, and you know, there's a lot of you know blood and gore and very detailed art when it comes to that. The story is very balanced, uh, and sometimes imbalanced with kind of going back and forth of you know time periods and trying to figure out who some of these characters are. But structurally, I think it was just beat by beat. It was just it was so good, and I yeah, it was it was really good. And yeah, like I said, like there's so many. There's a lot of number ones out there that. Uh, if I'm instantly sold by, I mean, with a great title like Imaginary Fiends, um, a lot of times I go in not reading the synopsis on purpose because I just want to, kind of like you said, you may not know, you know, try something out of your comfort zone. And uh, this one I just loved opening up and just being like, all right, I have no idea what this is. Let's get it's ready. very good. I, I would warn people that you're right. There is a certain graphicness to it. It's also, not an all-ages book. It's not no. an all-ages book. And some people might find it disturbing. There's a little bit of it that's kind of like the Slender Man thing that's mm. been in the news. So some yeah, people yeah. might find that slightly disconcerting. But um, I think that overall, it's a, yeah. it's a very good read. Very much enjoyed that. Uh, so those are the ones we had selected. We go around the table if anyone wants to add anything else. Uh, things that either came out this week or you've just been reading in the past uh, weeks or month. Anything? Yeah, I have a couple. So this is one I special ordered for myself through the store. Uh, it's from IDW's Deviations line, and it's a Deviations take on the TV show Orphan Black from BBC America. Uh, just wrapped up its run earlier this year. And uh, what Deviations is, is um, it takes uh, an event in the show that's a key event to setting things up, and it says, well, what if it didn't happen or it happened differently? 
And so in Orphan Black, our main protagonist is Sarah Manning. Uh, she's just coming back into town from some wild and crazy adventures. And uh, in the TV show, she's at a train station and sees someone who looks a lot like her. And there's a pivotal event that uh, kind of kicks everything off in her quest to find out why there's someone who is her identical. And in the book, uh, that actually doesn't happen. This person, you know, kind of kicks, stays around and, uh, you know, is questioning Sarah directly. And in the comic books, we're following uh, events in season one with some characters thrown in from season four. So what I think is cool about this is... Uh, in addition to really fleshing out some characters that, you know, in my mind were really mysterious and I wanted to know about more. Um, it also is following the progression of the first season. So someone who, you know, just thinks the concept sounds cool or hasn't gotten to uh, watch the show yet can follow along really easily and still enjoy the story and feel like they're getting to know the characters, you know, not like you've had to watch five seasons of TV to get it. And it's the same kind of powerful, gripping writing and incredible characters that are all very complex and unique that we've come to know from the show. So people who are fans uh, will enjoy it for that as well. It's definitely different, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that show's been on my list for a while. Uh, Tatiana Maslany, mm -hmm. the, the main star, yeah. uh, shows up on a couple of the comedy podcasts that I follow. And uh, I've seen, I, I know the concept of the show and I know that I always dig it and it, when I was starting to be interested in like checking it out, it was already like a couple seasons deep. And then knowing that they had what five seasons total yeah. that I figured I'm like, well, once they're all done, I'll consume it that way. So that's uh, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of like TV shows that also get comics yeah. and uh, it feels like this one honors the, the TV show. Mm -hmm. I think we are about five comics in and um, I, from what I can tell, what I know of the show, there'll be some more. So um, when you are ready to watch it, I think you'll really like it, and uh, the show's really great. Uh, for me, it took a couple of episodes, but it's really good, so if you watch it, I hope you like it. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, if that'll be it around the table, we'll close out the non-spoiler section and move on to the news. <laughs> and now, the news. One uh, one comic, uh, I, I don't know, it's Marvel, so we can't call it an event, right? Because they don't do those? No, and I was listening to one of the writers, Jim <laughs> Zub, recently on a podcast, and he kept saying, he's like, I don't like using the word event for this, uh, because it exists within one title. Yeah, well, it, it's basically because the various Avengers titles are temporarily being all merged, merged into one one title. <laughs> Uh, Avengers No Surrender, which uh, will be going on for how, how long? 16 total weeks. They're doing a weekly series for Avengers. So it's existing under the Avengers banner, um, which banner is one of the terms we'll yes, use yes. later. The Avengers banner. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so basically you're not, you're not going to get all the other Avengers books for that time period, but every week you'll get this Avengers book. That's going to be this huge Avengers uh, happening involving somebody stealing the Earth, is my understanding. <laughs> Again? Yeah. I, I, I hate it when that happens. Yeah, they, they, they got to get a better security system on that thing. <laughs> Must be Tuesday. <laughs> but, uh, um, so, uh, this is one thing, and we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, potential uh, club 
pick book here. Um, but one of the newsworthy uh, things about this book, and supposedly it's going to have to do more with the second half of the storyline, is uh, they've, they've recently come out and confirmed that we will see the return of a major Marvel character. Um, I think we've already seen a little bit of a return from this character, haven't we, in some other books? Yep. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yes, uh, under the Avengers uh, No Surrender banner, we will see the return of Banner. Banner. Yes. Bruce. Uh, the Bruce Banner Hulk will, uh, is, is apparently making his return uh, to, uh, to comics. Um, they're, they're saying more like around March or after March. So it'll be like the, the second half, and he should be a major character in this storyline. So, uh, so that's the recent uh, news in, involving that uh, Marvel uh, thing. <laughs> <laughs> Comic book story. That, 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 that Marvel non-event. That non-event. <laughs> But yeah, the the overall sixteen issues co-written by the three writers of those Avengers books, and I think each arc, um, each like segment that's broken out is going to be from a different artist. So rather than getting like a different artist every issue, it seems like it's going to be a different artist for each story chunk that they're doing in the next uh, sixteen weeks, which will very uh, coincidentally lead right up to the release of a, a movie called Avengers. Hmm. Um, I think it's coming out, and I haven't heard anything about that movie, but apparently that's Is a thing. time for another one already? Yeah, I know, right? So why not uh, get everyone excited with a big Avengers comic there? But well, Oddly enough, the storyline doesn't involve them uh, looking for Infinity Stones, because that's being done elsewhere Where? in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Marvel Universe, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this will feature a lot of... Of Avengers characters, not just current Avengers characters, um, even though they have how many how many books now? Forty. Avengers, yeah, something 40 like books. that. Forty books. Forty. The new fifty-two of Avengers, <laughs> Avengers. books. Uh, the new all all different like Avengers, Uncanny Avengers, and you, know, you have the Octopi Avengers, Avengers, US Avengers. So like all there's yeah. a lot of enough to have one a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's going to involve all those characters and a number of. Uh, other characters, um, we, we don't know which ones are kind of not coming right out and, and saying it, but it seems like there will be a lot of uh, characters from Avengers past, um, and who knows, maybe Avengers future. I'm, I'm not real clear on that. But, there are a uh, couple teases of some new characters as well. I listened uh, to one of the podcasts with uh, Jim Zub, who was uh, talking about the relationship of uh, working with the other writers, uh, specifically... Uh, uh, Al Ewing and Mark Wade, you know, Mark Wade, who's been in the business for quite some time, and Jim Zub, who's been making a name for Marvel a uh, little bit uh, as the, the years go on here as his own independent title. So well, somebody's got to make uh, Marvel a name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I am based off of his excitement of being able to like work with these people and the editors on the book who... They said that, you know, they're very careful on certain things that, you know, when they would pitch them ideas that, you know, they just have this encyclopedia knowledge of uh, events in Marvel history saying like, no, we can't do that because this happened in this decade and it was inked by this person. Like the creative team behind this got me real excited for uh, what's coming up in the 16 issues. So. 
So yeah, and that will be uh, one of the club picks that we'll uh, be talking about here, uh, most likely on a weekly basis. Um, so that'll be something to get everybody to stay stay on top of the story and uh, what's going on in the big Marvel event. We've been talking a lot of a lot of DC recently. Yeah, yeah, we have. Um, you know, we try to keep things a little bit more balanced. Uh, uh, initially, when we started doing the club, we really tried to have. Um, Something Marvel, something DC, and while we tried to find uh, like an independent uh, event or something like that to talk about um, for for a while, it became clear as we were going through and, and sh- shooting ideas around that uh, it was there's just so many different independent books and companies and everything out there. It was uh, difficult to do that, so that's kind of how the. Uh, um, the, the portion of the club where we talk about, you know, if there's anything that anybody wants to talk about, you know, throw it out there now. If there's a book that you're reading or that you're interested in, let's talk about that. That kind of sprang from the fact that we couldn't just pick some independent title, like an image event or uh, something like that, but we really try to keep that balanced. And, uh, yeah, the last few weeks it's been, been real DC heavy, but um, that's not necessarily typical. But then in summer, it was mostly Marvel heavy right. as we had Secret Empire and tie-ins every single week. Right. And then Metal started, you know, towards the end of summer and fall, which is still going on now. So I think once that January hits, so we'll be doing some Metal, get a little Doomsday every once, one Doomsday a month, and then getting Avengers every week. And Yeah, because we've definitely got some, some Marvel things coming up that will be worth talking about. We'll see some new things going on in the, uh, the X-Books and... Uh, we, of course, have this uh, uh, Avengers non-event and, and some returns from from characters that we haven't seen in a while. So there's going to be a lot of Marvel stuff to talk about coming up. And speaking about things coming up, on Saturday, uh, one week from this recording, on December the 2nd, yes. uh, Crimson Call will be hosting the first official game night, which will be centered around Firefly the Game. Uh, if anyone has followed on Facebook, you'll see a, a post that I made where you can kind of comment and uh, uh, join in on the game. But yeah, on Saturday, we're going to all hover around the table and jump into space and dive into this game. Uh, myself, David, and uh, some of his children uh, did a test run of the game a couple weeks ago to kind of understand the the inner workings of it. Uh, Kurt's dad has played it before. Um, we had some people that are interested in it. So, uh, yeah, Saturday. And we are planning on finishing the game. We're not going to cancel it early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not going to like leave three hours of the game unplayed that are already laid out, but you, you'll find it on a DVD later. Um, oh, are we going to play it in order, too? <laughs> we're going to have to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I- well, it's kind of necessary. Yeah, no, we'll jump. We'll yeah, we'll start at uh, the the fourth portion of the game and then jump over to the second like portion. Yeah. Somebody, somebody's turn's gonna get skipped. Yeah. Yeah. And, then and then we'll then play I'll... the beginning at the very end. Yeah, you know, like as a special edition kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah, fire version. So Firefly the game will kind of just launch uh, first official game night, which uh, we hope will inspire people to come in. Uh, with the attitude of playing games and suggesting games and bringing your own games, and when there's more people coming in, uh, that could lead to you know more people playing this and more people playing that, and just kind of get that community going. And that's uh, hopefully something that will begin. In fact, with this. I just picked up a game here today. Oh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Showdown. 
<laughs> so, looking forward to playing that too. Yeah, and it was a great time to do it. We're having our Black Weekend because Black Friday just wasn't good enough, and uh, <laughs> having having some great sales that uh, will be over probably by the time anybody really hears this. Yeah, for the most part. <laughs> but that's why you follow on the Facebook page and oh, uh, all that fun stuff. So yeah, if anyone is interested in game nights, uh, please contact, comment, and ask in the store, send Facebook messages, and uh, just uh, throw out your excitement for uh, future game night recommendations and uh, hopefully you can kind of make this a regular thing as well and hopefully lead to things like, you know, Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, things of which you guys have cards and supplies for and could lead to getting more stuff. And I'm not that uh, well-versed in, the, in the, the gaming universe, but I figured a great way to start it was with something I love, which is the Firefly uh franchise leading into the game so i figured that's a good way to get me excited and hopefully more will be interested in joining as well as they're playing real high because you want the malcolm reynolds character yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I, I believe there are two opportunities uh, two players can can okay. can be mal so Really? I thought there was only, when I played it, there was only one Melton. There's, unless I have some yeah, you're, you've got the special game. edition. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. He's, okay. he's actually got uh, two two males in there. So uh, can never have enough Nathan Fillion. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's uh, the game night. Follow on Facebook, Crimson Cowl Comics Collectibles, uh, for more information and ask in store. Uh, as we're wrapping up this issue of the podcast, we always kind of talk about what's coming out next week. Uh, there aren't any specific club picks in the topics that we had talked about uh, a couple minutes ago, which kind of leaves it open to kind of, you know, like a free-for-all, people kind of bringing their, their favorite issues to the table and kind of really spending some more time. You know, I read quite a few books, uh, new books a week, so usually I'll bring like two to three in the non-spoiler section. Uh, but now knowing that we probably have an additional 20 to 30 minutes of discussion that's usually eaten up by the spoilers, um, which sounds like a comic in itself. The spoilers are eaten. Uh, <laughs> eaten by the spoilers. Um, but yeah, so that encourages anyone <laughs> listening, whether you're here at the table or listening at home to, uh, you know, it'd be a good time to jump in and, you know, not, uh be bogged down by an event that maybe you're kind of jumping into and not reading that we can all kind of show up at the same time and be on the same pace pitching our favorite comics. Right. And uh, anybody that wants to join us is welcome to come in uh, and talk about the the titles that they themselves like or are interested in or currently reading, um, whether it's new or something old, because you're certainly welcome to talk about uh, uh, comics from days gone by as well. Because if you've never read the comic, then it's new to you. Right? Um, and then in addition to the following on the Facebook, uh, you'll see the list of the new releases for Wednesday New Comic Book Day, which I'll highlight uh, a couple of the popular releases and give the list of the other things you can expect upon the delivery, including the brand new previews catalogs, which is you know one of my favorite times of the month when the giant catalogs that tell me you know where all my money's going to <laughs> two months later. Yeah. So for the month of February coming up, um, and especially with uh, a less spoiler uh, issue of the podcast coming up, that'll be a good time for us to kind of flip through and kind of mention some things that we're excited for, whether they be 
new series launches or maybe old uh, stories that are new, in new collection, you know, hardcover collections, new toys and shirts and things like that. So that'll be kind of a good way to kind of advertise the previews and how important it is to pre-order your comics so you can make sure that what you want is set aside for you and it shows the support to the publishers and the creators themselves too of what you're interested in. Uh, yeah, and uh, Doomsday Clock, actually, that's another excellent example of the importance of pre-orders. Um, we had uh, taken care of filling pre-orders, and uh, we also ordered, of course, for the rack. However, we had so many people come to us within the last couple of weeks, um, well after pre-orders were, were placed for it, and uh, wanted us to put aside a copy for them. So, you know, we got to the point where by the time they came in, we had none left for the racks. They were all spoken for. And we had, we've, we've, we've placed some reorders, but of course that always takes a couple of weeks. So uh, we're happy to do that. Uh, but it's always better if you can put in that pre-order and guarantee that you're going to get that book um, when you're supposed to, as long as Diamond and UPS cooperate. And that helps for the future issues of something like Doomsday Clock, you know, where in the February preview catalog will probably be issue three or four, I think, uh, will be yeah, in. So uh, that's always a good time, too, because then you can get your pre-orders in, especially for a 12-issue event. We're very early on, and uh, this is the best time to jump in on that. So, so yeah, that is, uh, should conclude this issue of the podcast, and uh, hope you all enjoyed listening uh, this entire time. I've been Anthony. I'm David. I'm Katie. I'm Kurt Stan. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> Thanks for listening. The Crimson Cowl Comic Club is recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles at 1749 Barton Avenue in West Bend, Wisconsin. For more information, Visit us online at www.crimsoncowl.com.